Welcome to the Allentown Fellowship Church Podcast. Join us as we study God's Word book by book and then apply practical application to our lives. All right, good morning. Welcome from Allentown Fellowship Church and hope and pray you guys are doing well. We are already in the month of May. I think we're in our sixth or seventh week and of uh, being in quarantine, worshiping this way and uh, praying that soon it will lift and we could be back together in person. But thank God for the opportunity to get back into his word. As we've been going through the book of James, we're coming to uh, the end of the book. We're going to be starting or finishing up the uh, chapter four today. And um, then there's one chapter left. Remember, the uh, books of the Bible did not have chapters or verses in them. Those were put in much, much later to help you and I find our way. This would have just been one letter written on one scroll. And probably they would have just read through the letter in one sitting. Um, but uh, obviously, we take our time to go through and try to unpack all the truth that God has. So last week, we were in... Uh, chapter 4 towards the end in verse 11 where he was talking about slandering others um, speaking about other people backbiting um, rather than uh, confronting people the way God says to biblically James was rebuking these believers for slandering one another and he gave a very harsh judgment saying that they are speaking evil ultimately against God's law and that's a sobering thing to think about. When we choose to gossip and backbite, um, we are really speaking against the law of God that says not to do that. And we are essentially saying that we're judging God's law as being inadequate and we're going to handle things our way. I don't know that we often look at our disobedience to God that way, um, but... I think we need to as believers when we walk contrary to what God says the spirit behind that is God I'm judging what you desire as not right and I want to do what I desire that is a that is a huge indictment against people who conduct their lives that way who feel that way who believe that way and James said uh, last week that you're speaking evil against the law and you're judging the law. And rather than being a doer of the law, you're acting as a judge. You're putting yourself in the place of God. And then he reminds them there's only one lawgiver and judge, and it ain't you. I'm paraphrasing now. It's God who is able to save and to destroy. And then he says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So, Last week's message was a very sobering message in that we need to understand that God takes his word seriously. God takes following and obedience, what he's laid out in his word seriously. And James is rebuking these believers for the slander that was in their life. And as we move into verse 13 to the end of the chapter, again, he kind of switches gears a little bit, but I think there is some harmony in tying together all these things that he's saying. Because remember, he started chapter 4 with talking about the quarrels that are among us, right? And, and that we're lusting after our own passions, and, and we don't like it when things don't go our way, and it causes all types of bitterness and, 
and anger inside of us and says, well, your problem is basically you're selfish. So yeah, you're upset, you're filled with anxiety, you're fighting one another because you're selfish. So he doesn't really show sympathy because they're not getting what they desire. He's saying there's a heart problem here. Get the camera off of you. You're too selfish. You're too self-absorbed with yourself. Self-absorbed with yourself. Let's say that two times, right? Then he goes into uh, this, this appeal for, for them to stop being so arrogant in chapter 4. Stop being so, so prideful. So he talks about God opposes the proud. We dealt with that before, verse 6 and 7. So he talks about draw near to God. Cleanse your hands, you wretched-minded. Weep, mourn, come back to God. Then he goes into the whole slandering thing. Yeah, these believers were having some issues, just like believers in churches today. So now he comes to verse 13, and I believe he still has this group of people in mind. And he's dealing with this, this arrogance, this self-sufficiency that they have. They're doing life their way, opposed from the way God would have them to live. And as we come to verse 13, he's now going to address another issue, a wrong way of thinking that these people have. So we're going to jump in and deal with that today. But let's ask God's blessing on his word. Father, I pray as we get into your word together, your Holy Spirit will convict all of us. Help us to realign our lives back with your word. We always go off, God. No one is perfect. But I pray that we would not hear your word and then not heed it. But God, that we would hear it and then change the things we need to change in our thinking, in our lives. So we thank you and pray for your blessing in Christ's name. Amen. So with this group of people in mind and all that they're already dealing with, notice what he says in verse 13. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to trade, and we're going to make a profit. Now, you can't really see this in the English, but at the beginning of verse 13, when he says, come now, another way that he's saying that is kind of like, are you serious? <laughs> That's kind of how... How th 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 this is like, this is an appeal. Like, you guys, are you out of your mind? In other words, those two little words come now. He's setting up something that is so serious that he's about to share with them. Right? And, and, and you and I do that in conversation with somebody. And then somebody says something that's so, like, backwards or off the cuff. And you're like, are, are you crazy? Like, what were you thinking? That's, that's the idea behind this verse. And look at what he addresses. You say that today or tomorrow we will go, we're going to spend this much time in this particular town, and we're going to sell, trade, buy, and we're going to make money. Now, what's wrong with that? On the surface, it sounds like, okay, it sounds like he's talking to the businessmen. Sounds like he's talking to people who are probably well off and they're just planning what they're going to do. What's wrong with planning? Well, again, this is where you got to take all of Scripture in context with the rest of what we've been reading in James. I believe he still has in his radar these rich, pompous Christians who are living their life 
as if they are autonomous. Like they can do whatever they want to do. Hence the slandering, right? The bickering, the judging one another. And now when it comes to even how they live their life, he's about to rebuke them. Because look at what he says in verse 14. You're doing all this planning, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So what is he getting at? It's not that they were planning to do business, and it's not that they were planning to go travel and, and do all these things. It's the fact that they were planning this apart from God. They have the attitude that this is my life. I can do with my life what I want to. That's what James is rebuking here. This attitude of self-governance. The right to govern their own life. Them feeling that, that they are in control of their own life. You know, we are to plan. Right? We are to use wisdom. And we are to look at our lives and look at the goals that we have in our life and make plans. There's nothing wrong with that. But taking this attitude that you are self-sufficient, your life is your own life. You don't have to consider God in your planning. It's your life. Do what you want to do. These folks were struggling with a sense of arrogance and pride. They were struggling with this sense of self-governance. We don't need God. Remember earlier, last week, when they were doing the slandering, what were they doing? He was accusing these same believers of judging the law of God, right? Who made you a judge over God? That was last week. Now they're trying to do the same thing even in the way they live their daily lives. And Paul or James here is going to rebuke this because he's going to explain to them, don't you know that you have no idea what tomorrow will bring? You are not in control. This attitude of self-sufficiency, I can do what I want to do, this attitude of arrogance, James is rebuking these believers. He said, you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. I mean, we're doing church right now. Why? Because nobody knew what was going to happen as far as COVID, right? Look at how our lives got turned upside down. Everybody was going forward, planning, doing this, doing this, conferences, church services, all these different things that all of a sudden all got shut down. Who knew? Now I know some of you conspiracy theorists are going to send me emails and say, oh, we knew. Look back at 2018. Okay. The point is, we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know. The people who caught this virus didn't know they were going to catch it. And your life can change on a dime. These believers were not living with that sense of mortality, if you will. They were living as if they were invincible. They got this. They don't need God. They were prideful. And James is rebuking this type of mindset in the mind of a believer. Autonomy which is the right to self-govern my life, I believe, is probably the primary thing that we all struggle with. Believer and non-believer. Believer and non-believer. 
The non-believer who, who has no faith in God, I mean, he's just all in with autonomy. It's my life. <laughs> this, is, this is my life. This is my money. This is everything is me, 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 me. Right? But even believers fall into the same trap of autonomy, of this idea that I have a right to live my life the way I want to live it. I don't know if this is still the case, but for a number of years, the number one song that was played at funerals. Anybody want to take a guess? The number one song that was played at funerals. And this was for a number of years. I forget when it stopped. It might still be the number one song. You can do a little fun fact and find out. But the number one song. You know, it's funny because when I heard this guy talking about this, my first song I thought of was Amazing Grace. I said, probably Amazing Grace. But then I realized they were just talking about just funerals, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, and they're not just all funerals. So I was like, oh, okay, well, it's probably going to be a secular song. And it was a secular song. Here it is. All of you probably know it. I did it my way. Good old blue eyes. I did it my way. I think that song speaks so much truth as to what the problem with the human race is. God, I don't need you. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. goes right back to the garden. God sets up paradise, gives Adam and Eve all of the pleasure that their hearts could even imagine. Perfection. Satan comes along. No, no, no. You don't want to do it God's way. You want to do it your way. God knows the minute you disobey him, you will be as a God. He's holding back from you. And it's amazing how something that happened way back then, you see it in the lives of people today. Just as prevalent, and you see the roads that people go down, this is my life. I determine what I want to do. These believers are doing the same thing. And they have this arrogance about the way they're living their life. And there's like, uh, yeah, we're going to go and we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Not even considering God. Well, I'm going to consider God. Well, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. Forgetting something very, very important. Look at what James says in 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, newsflash, what is your life? <laughs> Let, let's talk about your life that you got control over. You're going to go here and do this and do this and do this? Hold on, let me remind you of something. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor. Wow. Think about that. You've all seen vapors or mist or the tea kettle and the steam, and it just is there and it's gone. He says to them, your life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. That's what your life is. In other words, they were not recognizing that there is a provident God. Who, unless God allows you to get up, you're not getting up. I mean, you ever think about that? No, excuse me, Pastor Ron, I tend to disagree. My iPhone goes off every morning. Your iPhone didn't wake you up. You know how I can prove it? 
There, I can prove it. I can prove that your iPhone and your alarm does not wake you up. Here's how. Whoever woke up dead today, let that settle. Wait, how could they wake up if they were dead? Exactly. But I guarantee you some of the people who did not wake up today had alarms and iPhones that went off. How come they didn't get up? Wasn't loud enough? No, God is sovereign. Guys, if we could grab this, we could save ourselves so much heartache. God is sovereign. Acts 17 says, God determines the times and the boundaries of man's existence. God determines that. So that as I do and I plan my life, I should plan my life. Should I plan a month from now? Should I plan a year from now? Yes, I should plan as far out as is wise to do. Okay? But I should do it with this keen awareness. God, you're in control. You're in control, Lord. So I'm going to plan these things, but I have this awareness that God is sovereign. And notice what he says. Look at what our attitude should be. He tells us right here in verse 15. After saying, look, your life is a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. So instead, people... Here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See the attitude? This is the attitude these believers did not have. These believers were proud. They were arrogant. They were probably rich believers. The Jewish uh, 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 people back in this day loved to buy and sell and trade. And, and it was like that's... It's just kind of like, that's what they did. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But when you get to the place in your life where you begin to believe that your life is your life, you've crossed the line. And here, here's the trick of Satan. Just like he did with Adam and Eve. Okay, remember, they're created, they're in perfect paradise. Here's the lie that Satan gives that everybody buys into today. There is a way of living that is contrary to God that is more satisfying. Think about that. They take of the fruit, they disobey God, sin enters into the world, and yet even still today, you and I struggle with this sense of autonomy. That no, I have the right to govern my life. And it's played out. Just listen, listen at just normal conversations and how people talk. There's this sense of, I got a right. I got a right. This is my life. This is my life. If we are Christians, if we are believers, there ought to be this understanding in our hearts. No, God, my life belongs to you. You gave me life. And not only did you give me life, but you gave me redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, as Paul said, the life that I now live, I live through my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I live to please you, Lord. And please, get this straight. Please get this straight. Pleasing God does not mean that every Christian has to become a pastor or a missionary. Like, where did that come from? I hear young people say that all the time. Well, you know, Pastor Ron, I just really want to live my life for God, but I'm not ready to go into ministry. What chapter and verse are you looking at? Pleasing your life is walking in a way that pleases his God. 
your your character, the, your morals, your morality. What, what, in other words, you esteem and you value what God values and how you live. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a minister. Trust me. Don't go running after being a pastor. <laughs> if you ain't called, go the other way. All right? But it's this idea that you've redeemed me, Lord. And now I live my life for you. Well, how do I know what God wants me to do? A lot of times people will say, I don't know what the will of the Lord is. So when he says here, okay, instead of me just planning all of this, I should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or do that. Now, don't miss what he's saying. He is not saying that you, every little step, God, do you want me to do this? God, do you want me to go into business? God, do you want me to do this? That, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the attitude of these believers who are prideful, who are arrogant. They're not living with this sense of a dependence on God. It's okay that they want to go here and go here and sell and trade. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay that you want to do this and you want to do this. It doesn't violate anything in Scripture. God gives you tremendous freedom. Go do it. But are you living with an attitude of, God, my life is yours? You understand the difference here? Sometimes we get caught up. I don't know what the will of, what God's will is for my life. Well, first, before you get there, do you have the right view of God. You realize that your life is just a vapor. Do you realize that God's in control? Are you in relationship with God through faith in Christ alone? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Now here's the will for your life. God tells us in his word. Here's my will for your life. Your sanctification. What does that mean? As you're in God's word, as you are praying, as you are worshiping with the saints of God, that you are becoming more like Christ in all of your actions. That's God's will. I say that to people sometimes when they come to me ask, I'm trying to figure out God's will. And I say, there it is, that's God's will. Well, no, 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 no. But I mean, should I take job A or job B? I think we have to be very careful in deducing God's will down to things like, should I do this, should I do this, should I do this? Because what I see in Scripture is that God's will is that your life looks more like Christ. Watch this. In whatever you do, God gives freedom. God gives freedom. God came to me one time. He had two job offers. He said, I'm just trying to discern God's will. My wife and I are praying. So we put the Bible down. We let it open up. And we read scripture, see what it says. I'm like, man, no. We're trying to figure out what God wants. I said, I can tell you what God wants. He said, what? I said, yep, I can. He said, here, here we go. Tell me about the job. He told me about job A. Tell me about job B. He told me about job B. I said, okay, here we go. You ready? I'm, I'm going to tell you what God, what? I'm going to tell you God's will for you. He was like, awesome. Which one is it? I said, which one do you like? He was like, well, I mean, if it was up to me, I would take B, but I want to know what God's will is. That's God's will. Take B. <laughs> and he was like, wait, no, 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 but, but I want to know what God's will is. You see, we're, we're trying to pin it to one little thing. God gives you freedom. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. How do I do whatever to the glory of God? By the way I live. I, I exemplify the fruit of the Spirit, whether I'm a bread maker, 
donut maker or a trash collector or a pastor. The will of God is that in each of these vocations, I represent Christ. That's his will. So people get so wrapped up into, I want to make sure I make the right decision, make the right decision. No, the will of God is that we look more like Christ. But these people had the wrong attitude. It wasn't even about planning and, and, and struggling with what to do. Their problem was deeper than this. Their problem was they were arrogant. And they were doing life apart from God. And these are, these are Christians. These are Christians. So again, he says, instead of you having this, this, this we're going to do this, we're going to do this apart from God, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Again, acknowledgement of God's presence. But as it is, you boast. See, here's the problem. In your arrogance. You are arrogant. Because you fail to realize God is sovereign. God is sovereign. All such boasting is evil. Wow. They had this mindset that was apart from a mindset that recognized, God, you're in control. I'm going to plan. I'm going to do life. And we have to. Can't just sit in the room and wait for God to come back. But I'm going to do it with an attitude of, I'm in your presence, Lord. And if I wake up another day, thank you, God. You've granted me another day. I'm going to move towards those goals that I've planned. But there's not this attitude of entitlement. There's not this attitude of what God owes me. And there certainly should not be this attitude in the life of a believer that my life is my own life. Your life is not your own life. Somebody said to me one time, oh, it's just so fair that God says I'm going to be miserable if I don't live according to his word. I said, this is not an issue of fairness. This is not an issue of fairness. You don't belong to yourself. How is this an issue of unfairness? That's like me saying, I don't like the way that you cut your lawn. I don't like the fact that you put those flowers out that way. What? What? It's not your house. This is probably the hardest thing for believers and non-believers to get into our hearts. We are not our own. What gives God the right? Because God made you. That's why he says, does the clay look up at the powder and say, why are you making me this way? Why are you doing this? No, that's absurd. But Satan comes along and tries to feed the lie. That if you could jump off of that, if that clay could jump off the table and just do its own thing apart from God, it'll be far happier. Think about the, think about the, the, the lie there. How is the clay going to be happy on its own unless the creator make it into what the creator has in his mind to make it into? Does that make sense? We're not our own. We're not our own. He says that this type of boasting is evil. So he ends the chapter by saying, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's almost like a little proverb. Okay, you've heard what the right thing is to do. You heard how you ought to be thinking, how you ought to be viewing God, so now think that way. In other words, it's a call to action. Change your behavior. Change your thinking. You are not autonomous. You ought to humble yourself, not be arrogant. Plan, live life to its fullest, but with an awareness, God, you're sovereign. 
and there's nothing that is old to me, Lord. There's nothing that's old to me. All that I get each day of my life, I thank you for. The good, the bad, the ugly, the challenging, you're in control, God. And see, why is it, why is it, as we wrap up here, why is it that a true believer can, can have total peace with that mindset? Here's why. Because this life is not it for us. This life is not it for us. We leave this life and go into eternity and then ultimately onto a new heaven and a new earth where life continues as God originated with Adam and Eve. That's why there's no, I got to hurry up, I got to hurry up and do all this stuff so I can feel content and, 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 and I can look back at my life and say, oh, now I'm fulfilled. That's the rat race everybody's in. Why? Because this is all they have. But for the believer, our life doesn't stop. It continues into eternity. And that's not an eternity of floating around on clouds eating bonbons. It's an eternity ruling and reigning with Christ and living on a new earth and doing and creating and planning and enjoying life as God intended. See, with that perspective, then every day you get, you can say, thank you for today, God. I'm going to work hard today. But then if you get the phone call and you have that fatal disease, you can say, thank you, God, for the years you gave me on planet Earth. Can't wait to see you in the moment when life leaves my body. That's a way of living, man, where you can be in total peace. Father, I pray that you would help us all to realize how we tend to be just self-governing. We want to control our own lives rather than bend the knee to you. And God, bending the knee to you is not you being selfish. But God, it's your right because we are the creation. You are the creator. And I pray as we do life that we would not have this arrogance, this boastfulness, that we would not look for these temporary things in this life to bring satisfaction. But God, each and every day that you give us, Help us to enjoy life, to plan life, to do activities and set goals, but to pursue after knowing you. God, spending time with you, understanding your heartbeat for our sanctification, that we might look more like Christ in this world now. So God, give us that balance. Show us, Father, the things we need to change about our thinking, about our planning. And most of all, change our hearts to have humble hearts, not arrogant hearts to have minds of humility towards you. God, to be so grateful for all that you give us. Father, we thank you. Pray that you will work these truths in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. And uh, again, by God's grace, we'll be here next Sunday with another message from the book of James as we'll kick off on chapter 5, in chapter 5. Take care. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the AFC podcast. If you would like to join us in our service, we meet at 457 West Allen Street in Allentown, PA, in what is called the Daybreak Room, located in the Dubs Memorial Community Center. Services start at one o'clock. We would love to have you come visit. Until next week, God bless and apply his word.